Hello and welcome to Imagine Amazing, Oregon HFMA's podcast with its current president, where we discuss what is trending with healthcare finance in the state of Oregon. Yes, welcome everyone. Thanks so much to our listeners for joining us. Today's podcast is extremely important. Healthcare organizations have become an even bigger target for cyber threats since COVID hit the U.S. Today's guests will be sharing best practices to keep your healthcare organization safe. As this is the President's Podcast, we are joined by Oregon HFMA's 2020 through 2022 Chapter President, Tammy Kuhn, who will be providing us with important chapter updates. Tammy, thank you for your amazing leadership. We are so happy to have you join us today. Thank you. I am excited to be a part of this podcast. And as a reminder to our listeners, this podcast is available on all popular podcast platforms and is now viewable on Oregon HFMA's YouTube channel. To watch the podcast, pop some popcorn, go to YouTube, type in Oregon HFMA Imagine Amazing, click on the desired episode, and sit back and enjoy. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Johnson. And I'm the other host, Kelly Smith. Today's episode of Imagine Amazing is sponsored and made possible by one of Oregon HFMA's diamond sponsors, Delap. Delap is a company focused on delivering exceptional accounting services to clients, as well as a firm where employees can pursue their career aspirations in public accounting while leading a balanced life. Delap is a fully integrated financial services firm with experts in tax, assurance, business advisory, wealth advisory, and cybersecurity. Their team consists of talented professionals that guide businesses at every stage. They're blazing a new trail and giving clients a comprehensive view of their financial picture than helping them protect what they've already built. To learn more about DELAP, please visit their website at www.delapcpa.com. Thank you, DELAP, for your support of the chapter and for this podcast. Tammy Kuhn, thank you for being with us again on a new episode of Imagine Amazing. This is a very timely podcast and a little scary as well, I'm not going to lie. And I'm excited to jump in and learn a little bit more. Yes, and I understand that today we're going to spend some time learning how to protect our organizations from the ever-increasing cyber attacks. Yes, today's podcast is interesting for me. So today, we're going to be meeting and talking about safety. So an interesting and unsettling fact, in 2021, there were eight hundred or 686 data breaches of 444,993,618 healthcare records exposed or stolen. That makes 2021 the second worst year in terms of breaches for healthcare records. So due to this very disturbing information, I've invited some special guests to discuss best practices to protect our organizations in today's interesting environment. Okay. That has me freaked out when you share those numbers. So thank you so much. It's actually terrifying uh, to know that my healthcare record might have been exposed as well. I don't know. So I can't wait to learn more. And I'm excited. It looks like you've invited some very awesome guests to join us today. Will you please introduce them? Yes, thanks, Jeff. So we're excited to have today's guest on the show. Joining us today is Steve Evans and David Buchanan. Welcome, Steve and David. I'll always like to give our guests a few minutes just to tell us a little bit about yourselves, the companies you work for, the industries you support, and also love to ask uh, you to share a fun or interesting fact about yourself. Right. Well, thank you, Kelly. Um, thank you so much for inviting us here today to uh, talk about cybersecurity. 
Before I introduce myself, I want to touch a little bit more about DeLap. We've been serving clients for almost 90 years now. Um, we're based in Lake Oswego, but we serve clients, frankly, a lot of out of area, some even around the world. David can touch on that because it's more of the IT security service line. And we have close to 125 people. Um, personally, believe it or not, I just completed my 43rd, busy, 43rd busy season after working 11 years at Ernst & Young, um, 19 years at Simons Evans & Company, and 13 years here at the Lap. And I've specialized in healthcare and been a member of HFMA since 1985, probably before some of you have been born. And I've lived, lived my whole life here in Oregon. And I guess a personal fact that uh, I am willing to share at this point is I'm going to be retiring at the end of this year. Oh, wow. So. So I figured 43 busy seasons, that was kind of enough, and I'm really looking forward to the, to the next chapter. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So I will turn it over to David. He can introduce himself and kind of his IT security area. Yes. Well, thanks for having us again. Um, my name is David Buchanan. I'm the partner and chief security officer at the Lab, and I've been here since 2009 at the Lab, and... Steve said he was a part of the organization since 1986, 1986, 85, 85, 86 is when I was born. <laughs> so thankfully, I mean, technology has really condensed and taken off crazily in the last 15, 20 years. So I get to really build off of the experience of the Titans before me and figure out what these companies care about and really help them prepare. And for the future, that's here today. So uh, we do serve companies worldwide, a lot of multinational organizations that are uh, based in the U.S. with international operations. COVID definitely threw a curveball for a lot of companies. And so we were traveling far less over the last two years. Um, and that brings me to an interesting fact, you know, about myself. I'm into plants, but during COVID, I decided I was going to get into growing and hybridizing tropical plants. And right now I've got around 300 plants inside my home. And yes, my wife approves. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. That's awesome. We are so excited to have you guys join us today. It sounds like it's going to be a blast. I am still a little nervous about some of the, the data that Tammy was sharing at the very beginning. In fact, in preparation for this podcast, I did a little research myself and just the opening comments on Google anyway, when I was typing it in was about Facebook and the fact that they they now are reporting they get about 600,000 cyber attacks a day. And that's just crazy to me. Obviously, they're a big target. Uh, my understanding is that, that the target is really moving even to smaller organizations. And that includes some of these smaller organizations that are healthcare organizations especially so um, for me a very first question I have for you guys is what does this cyber threat landscape look like in 2022 so we'll turn it over to you either one can answer feel free okay well I would say it's a continuation of the same with cyber criminals becoming more and more sophisticated and making it even more difficult for your hospital employees to avoid clicking on the wrong attachments or falling for an imposter scheme. And even though more employees may be returning to the office as the pandemic wanes, 
Um, a number will continue to work remotely or work hybrid schedules, so the VPNs will continue to be a prime target. I'll put it over to David for his comments. Absolutely. Absolutely agree that the threat landscape changes on an annual basis and, and more obviously more frequently, but it really is building off of 2021 and 2020. Um, we're going to see continued hopefully continued visibility from healthcare providers and you know hospitals and clinics on how to protect themselves against ransomware that will continue to be a big threat um, when i think about security you know there's protecting our clients data which is of immense importance but there's also delivering the life saving services that healthcare providers need to do that's even more important like we need to make sure that our systems are up ventilators are working um, operating rooms are intact and operating at full functionality. And so with you think about ransomware and its ability to disrupt business operations, there's a real impact to patient care there. So that's going to be continue to be one of the top threats to consider. And then as Steve mentioned, you know, phishing attacks um, and social engineering, just leveraging our employee and our team's trust against them because, you know, human nature tends to be on the trusting side. So we talk about you know, our doctors, our nurses, our administrative professionals being the strength of an organization. They're also our weakest link, so we've got to train people. Hey, just quickly, you, you mentioned two things. You mentioned ransomware, you both did, and, and phishing. For someone who may not be familiar with those terms, could you define it just a little bit more for our listeners? Sure. So this is where I'm going to move my hands around. I'm a terrible <laughs> fisherman, like terrible. I enjoy fishing. It's called fishing, not catching for a reason, right? So fishing, pH fishing, is where I impersonate a company that you might normally receive emails from. Like maybe it's Chase or Wells Fargo, or maybe it's your HR department or IT. I'm sending you an email that pretends to be from them and is trying to entice you to click on a link and I'm trying to get personal information from you. Um, I might direct you to a website that looks like a Wells Fargo login, or maybe it looks like the login to your employee benefits site. I'm trying to get your username and password. If I'm the bad actor, that's what I want. If I can get your email address and password, even better, because then I can email everybody in your list and try to get their information. That is the whole point of phishing, except for, I wouldn't even call it, it's not like a me on a, side of a shore trying to catch a single fish, it's they're throwing out a dragnet and seeing how many hits they can get. Uh, and ransomware, about... ransomware is uh, it's really denying, it's in the name ransom, but it's denying you access to your systems and data. So in security, we'd like to talk about encryption and protecting things. Uh, you've got Threat actors say, hey, you know what? I'm going to use encryption and I'm going to lock you out from accessing all your files, which often would prevent you from accessing your applications, maybe even your EMR, EHR software. And it's encrypted now. You just don't have the key. And I'm going to charge you money to get it back. Yeah, that is so interesting. I can tell this session is going to be really valuable. 
And it's interesting, as you mentioned, the impact it has on patient care. So I'm a provider. I work for Oregon Health Science University, and it is very concerning that this might impact patient care. So I'm very curious, since this is an HFMA podcast, what are some of the top security risks facing healthcare organizations, and why is it that healthcare seems to be such a target? You know, when you saw a couple years back, WannaCry was one of the biggest ransomware splashes in the news, right? It hit healthcare providers heavily in the EU and started rippling across the US and other countries as well. And healthcare providers remain and continue to be a growing target because of the sheer quantity of patient data. You know, you are a treasure trove of information. You know, my medical record goes back to when the records were being maintained. (laughs) You know, that's so much information that can be gleaned. Uh, and even beyond that, you know, healthcare providers are taking payments. So it's possible they might be taking credit card payments for bills. So there's potential information there to get someone's credit card information, um, identity theft opportunities. And as well as because of your critical role in society of just Getting people healthy, saving lives from, you know, people getting accidents, they need to go have operations, um, you know, terminal illness, aversion, uh, cancer treatments. It's so critical that in insurance carriers, there's a lot of coverage for hospitals and healthcare providers that attackers know that you are likely to be an excellent target because you care about your systems being back up and running. Mm hmm. You have such a responsibility to the public that health providers continue to be a prime target. There's a high chance of a ransom being paid or negotiated by an insurance carrier. You know, it's a, when it comes from a hacker's perspective, it's just good business. It's terrible, but it's good business. So we, we've touched on ransomware and we've touched on data breaches where PHI is, you know, very valuable to the fraudsters. The one thing we did not mention yet was insider sabotage. And that can occur when you have a a disgruntled employee or a dishonest employee, and they can gain access to valuable data or locking your systems down if they're disgruntled. And generally, this it's not the problem in the hiring, because a lot of these are like good people that have gone bad. Either they feel that they're overworked and underpaid, and so they try to justify it, or there's something going on in their personal life that turns them into kind of a fraudster. And and a lot of times that's an addiction, and that can be an addiction to, to shopping or gambling or drugs or alcohol, and it drives them to do things that they would normally do. So that's another risk that we're all facing. And along that line, you know, with the insider threat, you know, the pandemic has created a lot of pressure and opportunity on folks and employees across across the world. And you think about the fraud triangle of, you know, different factors that can cause significant risk for fraud, pressure, rationalization, and opportunity. There's been a lot of that over the last two years. Um, organizations operating on minimal staff, um, trying to rush technology out to enable certain parts of the workforce that can be remote to be remote, uh, trying to innovate 
and do more with less as you have staffing shortages across the board. We're not talking just IT. We're talking medical professionals needed to actually get, you know, the work care out the door. You know, um, I hadn't thought about the insider sabotage. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, I think sometimes we're so worried about what's going on when we think about cyber attacks. It seems like it's from the outside. So very valuable information. Um, I also want to go back to Kelly's question that she posed on why healthcare. And I ran across uh, a training that was online. I wanted to get your opinion since we have you guys here to see if it's true or not. But some of the data they were sharing was just the value if they're able to get a child's record, because they can then use that data for a long period of time before that child becomes eligible to get their own credit card or something like that versus getting an elderly's data, an elderly person's data. Um, they can't use that as long, or maybe they can, I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Are, is there any truth to the fact that maybe a child's record of information from a healthcare system, maybe they're born and they get that would be more valuable to these attackers and the way that they sell that on the black market versus data that comes from a someone of my age, you know. I would offer up, you know, two things. You know, I think from a society standpoint, we're always wanting to protect youth and kids, especially their data, right? I can say from a security reporting standpoint and the data that I've seen, that statement might be true. I just haven't seen direct evidence of it being uh, true in the wild, at least to my exposure. So again, it doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means it hasn't, I haven't seen it rippling across my spheres of influence. Uh, typically, if an organization and as companies are being more strict about what data is required to open up a line of credit or to establish a bank account or to get a loan, especially after the previous loan crisis, you've got these ups and downs of requirements and how many requirements there are. Typically, an underaged individual trying to gain access to credit would be flagged. Um, and some institutions, maybe not, but I haven't seen pervasive evidence of that. Okay, thanks for answering that. Just something interesting that came across. So when Kelly brought up why are they targeting healthcare? I was thinking, well, maybe because you know you have such a broad spectrum of people that you service, and if they're looking for some of those younger people that they can really use their information for a longer period of time, that might be a reason why. But just a, a thought that I threw out there. So thank you for your answer. We've been talking so far about all of the crazy that's going on. We'd like to hear a little bit about the solutions that companies are putting in place to help solve for some of these financial and phishing scams. So can you share with us what you guys are seeing as far as really good solutions to combat this? Sure. It's, you know, employee training and retraining is critical, you know, from the moment you hire them and then continuous training and reminding um, because really it's your employees, it's their actions and inactions that either lead you to fall for a phishing scam or avoid the phishing scam. So the more you can do, I know our firm sends out periodic like 
test phishing emails. And it's a training tool, not a shaming tool. So it's not to try to embarrass anybody. It's just so that we are aware that things to look out for. And some of these, some of these emails are very sophisticated and it, it is kind of a pretty good test. So the more you can do to just remind your employees that they need to be uber careful in the, the world that we live in, in terms of clicking on attachments or responding to emails that they should. David, do you have anything to add to that? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, 100% agree. And the ongoing training is important. And you'll probably hear across the industry advice about not clicking on an email from someone you don't know or be care- like inspect the links. And that, that advice isn't bad. It's, it's proper, but it's unrealistic when you think of the pace of business and the pace of people trying to clear through an inbox and they're trying to get things done and get the patient care and get to the next room um, that you really need to have more layers of defense in place because it's not if it's when someone's going to click on a link, someone's going to get fooled and it's, it shouldn't be to shame them, but it's going to happen. And we need to have things to respond quickly into account for that risk, that eventuality. And the training is a big part. Um, you know, when we talk a talk a, a minute about the like financial scams, you know, you probably have seen uh, folks posing as an executive asking someone to go purchase gift cards. I'm in a meeting. Please send me the numbers. And or for instance, posing as a vendor. Hey, I'm trying to set up a new account. We move banks. Can you set this up for me? And these are all precursors to financial fraud, financial scam, and Part of the training curriculum that you want to really increase is having kind of an out-of-band requirement. Like when a vendor wants to change their bank account, it requires you or someone in your team to contact an established contact at a known number at that vendor to verify before changing any account information. You know, yes, it's an extra step, but something as simple as that could save your organization tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, one thing that we just continue to send out messaging on internally is the executive team, no one is ever, ever going to ask you to go buy gift cards and send us the numbers, ever. And we just continue to preach that message because especially with new folks, they want to, like, we want to do good jobs. We want to please our supervisors, you know, we don't want to be the one that held an executive back. So empowering them like that will never happen so if you see that report it please just continuing to encourage that positive behavior and knowing that there's going to be a few things that get through and then you're going to want to have detective and you know mitigation controls and we can talk about that a little bit later as well it's funny you mentioned that david um one of the things when i became president is um they apparently watch, and there was a lot of emails that went out from me um, as a brand new president asking my officers to buy gift cards for me. Um, and, you know, they were trained to say, hey, did you know this email was going out? Um, and, and it's happened like three times. And it's just, you know, it's just as soon as I became president, bam, all those emails went out asking for gift cards. Go purchase this gift card for networking. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, we don't do that. 
um, you know, so it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because it, it even happens in our association. So to follow up on that anecdote, if I may, you know, a couple simple things that you all can consider doing to just give your team a little bit more breathing room before they click visual is especially if you're on a Microsoft Exchange email or in Microsoft 365, which many of us are, um, and almost every other email provider out there supports this as well. There are rules set up, and this is just takes time. Usually you don't have any expense to implement, hard expense, it's time, that will review any inbound email that doesn't originate. And, you know, Microsoft knows if it originates from your account because they manage and own the accounts, you know. So it can create a little banner, a prefix at the top of the email that says, this email does not match the person that it says it's from. Or hmm. this email originated from outside your organization. And these aren't, it's not preventative, but it's a, an additional warning sign, like a little, you know, a little red flag that tells the reader, oh, you know, it says, it says it's from Steve Evans, but it says it's from outside my organization. So it's not from Steve Evans. And it gives just a little breathing time that usually encourages people not to click. And so that's a simple thing that can be done. That that means I just sent it from my Gmail account, David. Yeah. And then I just deleted it. <laughs> that's really good feedback. You know, and interestingly enough, I also was the victim of that same email scam that Tammy's referring to in my year also. And I was really surprised at the number of individuals who reached out to me asking, Are you do you really want me to go get you gift cards? You know, they were pausing, they weren't clicking anything, but they were questioning whether or not it was valid or not. And one of the things I, I didn't know what to do is what's my job? What's my, is there anything I can do to respond or to try and protect people from opening that? Because I didn't, I didn't, you know, initiate that email. It didn't come from my box. What can I do to prevent anything from happening to those recipients? Is there advice you have on that? That really goes back to what we'd mentioned earlier of just, you know, if you're on, if you use Slack or Teams or some other interoffice communicator, I just make sure that we, on some regularity, some regular basis, are communicating that you're never going to get this from us. Mm -hmm. You know, like during the tax season, the IRS will never call you for this. Like you get those, like it's a scam if they do. Right. You'll get a formal communication. So we take the same approach of executive team. You will never be asked to go buy gift cards. Mm hmm and give us the numbers like it's not going to happen yeah and that's the best thing you can do because there are a lot of preventative controls and to be fair there's so many security vendors software vendors out there and and many provide great services but there's no silver bullet for this and no matter how good your anti-spam anti-malware anti-phishing policies are there's going to be some that get through mm -hmm. so really it's just continuing to raise the awareness for our team and make them confident of like, hey, it's okay for me to ask. Like, I'm glad they asked you, Kelly. I think that's that shows growth. That shows, you know, they're thinking. That shows awareness. Yeah. I've made it somewhat of a game for myself within our organization because we do what you were describing where the education and then the 
tests within our own organization to see how many folks select that link. And they've there's the button, you know, report phishing. So you can see, and I love to click that button. Like, did I win this one? Did I get it? You know, <laughs> good job. You, you passed yeah. our phishing scam. So I, I think that's kind of a fun way to encourage employees to think if, if it's going to be legit or not. But so I have another question and that's about passwords. So we all know that passwords are so important, but can you tell us something that we might not know about why it's so critical to protect the integrity of passwords? And I'm seeing more and more nowadays that there's these multi-factor authentications that are required and setup is required. And so it seems like that's the trend of the future, but maybe you can speak a little bit to those two items. Steve, do you want to chime in first? No, I actually, I think this one's above my pay grade. I think, David, <laughs> you should be all over this one. All right. Well, I'll jump in then. Passwords are the bane of our existence. Nobody likes passwords. And we're finally, with the way, the way technology is growing and the way uh, you know, security is advancing, you know, multi-factor authentication has been around for a while, but it's finally really gaining ground and it's mm-hmm. becoming more commonplace and more acceptable. People are getting on board. And really the truth of the matter is if all you do to protect access to a system or to data is a username and password, yes, the password is incredibly important. But we're human and most people out there in the world reuse passwords to a high level of regularity or, you know, say, hell, I change it, you know, instead of like, um, my dog, Sally, one, two, three, it's my dog, Sally, four, five, six, you know, but that's not really a strong, unique password, right? You're just varying a couple digits at the end. And yes, there's a lot of things you can do to make your password stronger. Maybe a passphrase, like, um, I love to eat Thai food on Thursdays. That's a lot better than an eight-character password, but it's still a password, you know? And so the best thing you can do to remove the importance of password is make it completely invaluable, like not valuable at all to the attacker. And multi-factor authentication is the way to do that, enforced. And so, you know, to help people in general, we're adverse to change. No, I've done something like this forever. I've logged into the system, like I always have, the longest time. Change is rough. But multi-factor authentication can take the place of like a look like a USB drive that you you carry on you. So multi-factor is something you have and something you know. So I know the password. That means I need to have something I have or something I am, like a biometric. Retina, fingerprint scan, face scan now. And the most common being would be something you have, right? A lot of companies hesitate passing out a USB fob because people lose them. Habits. It's very, very uncommon for people to lose their phone, right? Yeah. Especially nowadays. Like, it's the golden handcuff or silicon handcuff, whatever you want to call it. It follows us everywhere we go, even probably where we shouldn't bring it. (laughs) And so... This is the best route to go if you can implement multi-factor authentication where it actually pings a secure application on your phone and says, hey, David, are you trying to log in 
to this system right now, and I've got a certain amount of time, usually less than 60 seconds, to approve it. If someone gets my password, all right. I still don't want to reuse passwords. That's still something you don't want to do because not every system out there supports multi-factor. But by doing this and by enforcing it, now that password, if you know someone got a hold of it or someone was shoulder surfing and they saw me enter my password in, it wouldn't matter because they would need to have this device with them at the time they logged mm-hmm. in. And that provides much better security than a password would. And if you heard me mention a secure app on your phone, that's important because a lot of uh, platforms will say, well, we'll just send you a text message, like a SMS text message. And I won't go into the, the geek aspect of that, but SMS is not a very secure platform at all, at all. Almost all modern systems support a nice secured app like Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator, Okta, Duo, you name it. There's a lot of good secured options. Yes, nothing is 100% secure, but much better than message, much better than text messages. Okay, that just makes me think so much of my parents and how everything's sitting on their phone and they're like, oh, the password's right there, right? I'm like, oh. Or in my my daily planner. (laughs) Yeah. do, do you think we'll ever get away from passwords? You said they're the bane of everyone's existence. I agree. Is there another solution that we never have a password, but somehow they know it's us? Is it going to be that? I know we, we see a lot of that thumb and facial recognition. Mm-hmm. Is that the future? Um, we're getting closer to you know passwordless authentication. There are solutions out there that offer that. Um, they create a an ID that leverages a multi-factor authentication or a biometric to establish your identity. But, you know, we've got this legacy, we've got a lot of history of applications that our businesses, our healthcare organizations, they run off of. It's not easy for us to just shift away from an application or an EMR, EHR, like we run the business on this. And those changes are going to take time. Many of them will support multi-factor or an integration to allow multi-factor to be supported or some form of single sign-on with multi-factor. But it's going to be a, you know, don't quote me on this, but if history is anything to predict the near future by, it's going to be a long haul to get to a place where a truly secure, as much as it can be, passwordless authentication something that is support, supported by the wide majority of applications that the healthcare industry relies on. Okay, that's great feedback. This has all been really fascinating. And I, I've also been thinking during this time, if you're been in business at all, you know how challenging it is right now to get a good employee and even one with skills that really help you so just curious, since we're talking about all of this, what has been the impact on the IT industry with just the lack of people and the inability to hire, especially at the skill level that you probably need to stop some of this phishing and, of course, ransomware? So that, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, you know, obviously, turnover and staffing shortages, it's affected every industry. 
it's affected every department. So, you know, hospitals obviously have had difficulty finding nursing. They've had to rely on, you know, contract nurses that are not regular there, but also patient accounts and accounting departments and IT departments. And so when you have a lot of new employees, so you're like training new employees, or you have contract employees that don't have necessarily the history with the company, it just creates a lot more risk because you have employees that are maybe they're more rushed because they don't have enough people around or they're not as knowledgeable because they don't have the history with the organization. Several years ago, I had a client where they had a contract CFO and that contract CFO got a request from the, the CEO to transfer or wire some money for a capital purchase. And again, it's a contract CFO, doesn't really know the CEO that well. And this the contract CFO said, well, it's within the CEO's capital purchase limits. So they went ahead and authorized it. And it actually got stopped at the teller window. Somebody was on the ball when it was almost almost to the fraudster at the very end. And clearly, if um if this was a CFO that had been there a long time or had worked a lot with the CEO, they would know that the, the CEO would never, ever make that kind of request. So I think we've, we've just really endangered, you know, an organization is very much in more danger when you have new employees or contract employees rather than long-term employees. We're going to say gaming, like just goosebumps but not the good kind as you're saying that it, it got caught last minute um, i wonder how many of those happen every single day so just crazy right very scary it really is you, know, you were talking about uh, staffing and skill shortages and how that impacts and you know the one thing i was just going to offer up is i i think we're seeing this labor shortage across the board you know and, and not just we're talking healthcare, um, operational professionals, administrative professionals, IT security professionals, and it's really forcing organizations to innovate because there's always going to be an organization that can and or will pay more, right? Yeah. You know, growing up, it, like there's always a bigger fish, mm-hmm. always going to be a potentially better offer out there. So really continuing to build and protect the culture of an organization that really makes the organization a place that people want to work and stay is incredibly important for the lab. It's one of our our main methods for attracting and retaining. But also for a lot of companies, the innovation piece is huge. Um, what, What can we do to better leverage technology, to streamline processes, um, you know, we talk about potential process automation or being able to allow our team members to focus on the highest and best use of their time. Now, is, is data entry or, you know, even charting, can we improve and streamline the charting process and, and have that be quicker for professionals to get back to providing care while still being able to annotate everything they need to? for professional standards and for proper patient care. So there's a, it's really a mix of, you know, yes, you want to, you need to be able to pay people competitively, 
and the market is crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Culture is important. No one should ever, you know, downplay how important it is that, you know, people want to work with people that they genuinely like. You know, they don't necessarily have to go out for drinks afterwards or to be friends necessarily, but we like to work with people we like. So well, on the I'll- IT and security front, training, you know, the creativity side is same thing from security awareness. It is going back to if you have someone who is hungry, interested in learning, capable of learning, uh, has good people skills, you know, human skills, they can be trained. They can learn the skills necessary. We look less and less for specific college degrees or college coursework and more and more for the characteristics of what makes a good team member a good team member. And then we try to foster and train them to help, you know, often they can be just as good or better than somebody who came from a degreed program. It's just one of the many ways you have to innovate now to stay competitive and to retain enough people to serve your clients, serve the public. Well, a lot of really good reminders for all of us today and remembering to just be diligent and thoughtful before clicking links and educate our employees and test our employees and keep a solid password. I think just one last question I have for you, and that is, you know, to the point that passwords are the bane of our existence. And now I have to have a different password and I have to remember which password I used for this application compared to the next. Do you have a good a good suggestion for our listeners on a tool to help manage the passwords and remember which which ones they are that keeps them all safe at the same time. Sure. There's a I'm a big fan of using an encrypted password manager. You know, I have a couple hundred credentials to keep track of. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm going to remember all those. So using a good password manager which requires multi-factor authentication to gain access is a boon it really saves the day and saves my sanity most of the time <laughs> so there's a lot of options out there um, you'll hear of you know a last pass or dash lane um, key pass there's a lot of options out there and there's might, there might be even able some built-in capability to some of the enterprise systems some of your health organizations have the important thing is that each individual's person who's storing their username and passwords, that it's properly secured. It's encrypted. To gain access, it requires that multi-factor. Otherwise, it's not doing any good. You know, one password gets you access to your entire treasure trove. That's not great. But those are a few options, and there's many more. Uh, You're going to find some that are more user-friendly than others and some that are more designed to be play well with enterprises than others. But the end of the day is, Whichever platform you choose, you're still going to want to provide training to your employees on so you'll actually get buy-in and people using them. Good. I wrote those down. Thanks for the tip. I have a question based off of yours, Kelly, and that is as we get older, it's so hard to remember passwords. I swear stuff gets, it just, maybe I'm too busy or whatever it is. So how do you remember the password to your authentication piece? You know, I I mean, I guess I, I... I hear that a lot from my parents and some of the older people. That's why they sure. have it sitting out there or they have it on a piece of paper right next to their computer. Um, any solutions for them? I mean, you know, if you've got a strong memory, 
I, I had a, I, one of my grandmothers had uh, Alzheimer's and I remember when, you know, recent memories were not coming through well, but she can remember things from her childhood and growing up, you know, crystal as day. And one of the methods for creating a good password is to use a passphrase based on something you really enjoy or a memory. And that's something that to consider. You know, it doesn't need to be like capital P lowercase X slash asterisk, blah, 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 blah. You can create a stronger password to that authenticator with the multi-factor device that is based on something that you would likely be able to remember. Like I was married at X place. No. Okay. And the other, you know, reality thing to think about and throw in there is remember if, if that multi-factor authenticator is required, the password is less important. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if my parents, let's say I or my parents, uh, use last pass or a dash lane if multi-factor is required i'm less concerned about them picking a long passphrase or a password because i know that it also requires that ping to their phone to get in so I, i'm not gonna harp too much on that um, you got to have that multi-factor authentication but in lieu of that or where you want to have something that can be remembered well have it be a passphrase have it be a memorable maybe it's the favorite your favorite concert that you went to a memory that was really strong, you know? Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you all for having us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. On the podcast, it's been fantastic, timely and quite scary information (laughs) that we've covered. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think none of us are safe from this. So the more that we can be educated, the better off that we'll be. So thank you very much. And now I'm going to hand it off to Tammy. Tammy, do you have any chapter updates for our listeners you want to share? Yes, I do, Kelly. So as always, a lot going on for the members of the Oregon uh, HMA. So chapter members are encouraged to check out our chapter's annual conference happening at beautiful and amazing Salishan Resort at the Oregon Coast. Conference is scheduled May 18th through the 20th, and it's definitely one you don't want to miss. And as part of the annual conference, we have a golf tournament happening on Wednesday. So check it out on our website. You don't want to miss the fun. Yes, I agree, Tammy. You don't want to miss Salishan. It is its own, I don't know, you know, it's its own thing. It's so cool. It's it's fascinating. I'm super excited. I really have enjoyed this podcast. It's nice to know there's organizations like UDLAP that are out there helping other organizations stay on the right path for security. Um, so that's really exciting. And thanks for sharing your solutions and just everything that you did share. I know that, Tammy, as you were talking about the annual conference, it does have a theme. And that theme is homecoming this year. And on the 19th, if anyone's attending, there is a big event, which includes, of course, dinner, live band, dancing, photo booth. And it is tradition for everyone to come dressed appropriately in homecoming attire this year for that. And that can be your own take on homecoming. And we're excited to see what people come up with for costumes 
It's always entertaining and a lot of fun. And I'm excited, and I do, by the way, have my costume ready. Can't wait. Well, good for you, Jeff. I'm glad you have your costume. I'm still looking to get mine. I don't have it quite yet, but looking forward to the event. And I know that after two years, I expect our members are really looking forward to Salishan this year. So it will be a, a party to remember, I'm sure. And again, just want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Hopefully everyone's able to take advantage of the information that was shared in today's podcast and join us for the upcoming conference. And meanwhile, I'd like to once again thank everyone for joining us today on this podcast. We extend the warmest wishes to all Oregon HMA members and want to give a shout out to our amazing healthcare heroes who continue to work at making our lives healthier and happier. So thank you, everyone. This episode of Imagine Amazing is brought to you today by DeLap. To learn more about DeLap, please visit www.delapcpa.com. And thank you so much, DeLap, for all of your contributions. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and all other popular podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. Please find us, like us, and follow us for exciting content in 2022. Also, to learn more about Oregon HFMA, please visit us at www.oregonhfma.org.